Thank you so much. It is a great privilege to be back here at Willow South again. Um, Glenn and Sarah, if you're visiting with us, are the pastoral couple here, but you don't have to feel bad for them this weekend. Uh, They are not here with us, but they're in Maui, Hawaii. And so celebrating 25 years of married life together, I understand. And so we are thankful for their ministry and um, thankful for their opportunity to be away and just having this time to... um, to trust in God during these days as uh, we just finished singing about how sweet it is to trust in Jesus. Uh, last weekend, uh, I had the privilege of speaking at uh, Willow 33, and uh, last night I attended there just because Willow Park is my home church, even though I'm often on the road in my role and responsibilities of uh, traveling and helping out churches. But last night, Pastor Phil was talking about their work up in Watson, and he was saying that, um, I, I guess a week ago, 17 young people gave their lives to Jesus Christ through the ministry there. And that's a great thing, indeed. And uh, this uh, coming days, there was going to be, uh, there's 100 people or 100 children in Watson Lake, and there was going to be 70 who were registered for the camping ministry this week. And so I thought that was a great thing as well, just to hear how God is at work there in that community. And and so Phil shared very passionately about, he'd been up there last weekend, uh, just seeing how the work was going, and uh, came back with that report last night to their church family. And so that's great stuff. I just want to encourage you as a church that uh, it is my privilege to travel and work with churches across Western Canada, and Willow Park is doing great things, and it is a privilege to be associated with them as my home church and have opportunity to share God's word from time to time in our various locations, and so uh, just be blessed and encouraged by the good work that God is doing in you and through you uh, as these reports continue to come in, and we give God the honor and the glory for that as well. Um, Let me pray for us, and then we are going to look into... uh, um, a Promise and a Question is the title of the message this morning, and we are uh, starting a series this summer on the Minor Prophets. I'm not going to talk about that this morning, but I will in August. I'm back here later on in August, and so we will be uh, unpacking a Minor Prophet at that point in time, and so trust that the message that God has for us today will be a, a blessing and an encouragement to you. So let's pray together. Father, as we've been worshiping you, just that idea of how exalted you are, how individual you are, how separate and so much bigger than us you are and yet at the same time God as we're going to remember in communion in just a short period of time how intimate and relational you are with us as well you are just amazing God and so as we open up your word this morning and and we look at um, passage in Deuteronomy and then we look at a several number of of, of other passages across the scriptures we ask that your greatness would astound us once again but your invitation Lord would just grip our hearts afresh this morning and we would embrace it all over again for our good Lord I pray and for your glory we ask these things to take place in Jesus name we pray amen and amen as we mentioned a serve a, a small association of churches about 150 of us across Canada and recently we went through the exercise of uh, uh, selecting a new president and so uh, as uh, that was going on, I was very interested because in my role as a area superintendent, I report directly to the president. And so I uh, was quite curious in who they were going to end up choosing. But as I had the opportunity, I was going to be speaking at a function where we were celebrating the uh, past president as well as the incoming president at a banquet. And it was my role to speak at that. And, and so um, we were looking at a passage out of Deuteronomy 31 where we were talking about the transition between uh, Moses and Joshua as um, they were going to exchange the leadership responsibilities for the nation of Israel. And so I, I thought about that and thought, man, there's such great stuff there. And, and as I was studying about it, I came across this quote that said, um, leadership is an oval track. 
I thought, well, that's an interesting quote. And I began to ponder that and thought about that. Well, I mean, really, life in general is an oval track, you know, because we're born and we live and we have all kinds of experiences and then obviously we die and that's true for all of us. Uh, we all have sort of daily, weekly, monthly responsibilities. If, uh, if we've got children, we know what that's like day by day. The same things, you know, come up again that we have to be dealing with. Um, if we're in uh, our older years, well, there's certain things that on a cycle happen to us and, and we just continue to do, deal with those and walk with those. But that idea that life is this oval track really began to impress upon me. And, and so as I was studying this, I was thinking about God's relationship with us. And so um, just began to look at what God was saying to the nation of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy. And so if you've got your Bibles, just turn with me. We're going to put it up on the screen as well. But in Deuteronomy chapter 31, um, we're about to have this great transaction or transition take place. And so in Deuteronomy 31, verses 7 and 8, it says, Then Moses summoned Joshua. And sometimes when I read the scriptures, what I like to do is just kind of use my imagination for a few moments. And so you've got the whole nation assembled together. And there's Moses, and he's looking out, and he's clearly the leader, has been for some time, knows that his time has coming to an end, knows that God has already selected Joshua to be the leader, and he yells at him out of, sort of out of the congregation, if you will, from our sort of terminology. He says, hey, Joshua, come on up here. And he calls him up to the front. And so it says he summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel. So they got everybody all together, and now they got the two leaders, the outgoing leader and the incoming leader who are now standing in front of the nation. And there's a message that obviously Moses wants the nation to hear. And so in the presence of all Israel, he says, be strong and courageous for you, Joshua, must go with this people into the land that their, land, that their Lord swore to their uh, ancestors to give them. And you must divide it among them as their inheritance. Now here's sort of the good news that he's given to Joshua and to the nation. So in verse eight, he says, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. Now listen to this. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Now, at that point, this is just such a wise leadership move by Moses to give to the nation who, even though they're familiar with Joshua, are probably a little uncertain as to how it's going to all work. But what Moses makes very, very clear is that there's a transition that's happening, but there's something that never, ever changes. And that's going to be my encouragement for us this morning as well as we hear this, that as you and I go through the ups and downs in life, as we go through the changes that happen, whether they're celebratory kind of changes or whether those are heartbreaking kind of changes, here's a fundamental truth that God gave to the nation of Israel through Moses to Joshua, and he says, I'm never going to leave. I'm never going to leave you, and I'm never going to forsake you. Now, as I continue to study in, in Deuteronomy 31, I realize that Moses wasn't done with his announcement. And in chapter 32, he actually sings a song to the nation that he believes God gave to him, which is great. Uh, I think if you're going to sing a song, you should sing a song that God gives you, and, and so that's a good thing. And so then in chapter 32, and we're going to put this up on the screen as well, verses 44 to 47, he again speaks very clearly to the people and to Joshua. And he says, And Moses came with Joshua the son of Nun and spoke all the words of this song that are happening in chapter 32. And if you want to go and read that this afternoon, feel free to do that. Not while I'm talking the rest of this message, though, okay? Just as a little encouragement to you. And so he gave all the words of the song that he was hearing for the people. Verse 45, When Moses finished reciting all these words to Israel, he said to them, Now listen to this, Take to heart all the words that I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children... So you hear that from a parental responsibility. God says to the nation, hey, 
I'm giving you these words. I want you to pass them on to your children to obey carefully all the words of the law. Now, verse 47, I want you to hear this very carefully, and I want you to think about this through the rest of this message as well. These are not just idle words for you. They are your life. And so Moses, is, as a communicator, is saying to the people, hey, I've got a message for you, but I want you not just to hear it as some kind of message again. I want you to know these aren't just idle words. These are important words because... The song came from God to Moses to give to the people, and he did just that. And so as we think through this, and as we ponder this through the rest of this message, I want us to look at this promise, and then I'm going to ask questions as we sort of get to the end of the message. What does it really have to do with us? And so here's the biblical truth that we're going to unpack for just a few moments. In in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 8, the truth is this. God does not leave us. That's the truth. He's not ever going to leave us. He's very, very clear about that. It's a promise that he's making. And so as I got to thinking about that, I was wondering about, well, is this um, the kind of thing that, that God's big on? Well, yeah, actually, it is quite a, a big deal for God. It's a reminder for you and I, though, that when we go through these changes in life, important for us to remember, remember, it's not just idle words. It's important to remember that God says, a promise, I'm never going anywhere. When you put your faith and trust in me, here's the deal, you get me for the rest of your life. Such a great reminder. And as nervous as the children of Israel were, it was important for them to hear this, that even though God was transitioning Moses to Joshua to lead the nation, the truth was that in the midst of all that, God was there as their Lord and Savior. Now, this, uh, earlier this winter, I had the opportunity to um, speak to a men's retreat in Manitoba and um, got to speak there from Thursday night through to Sunday morning. And, and there was one individual who was there, and I just kind of wondered partway through the weekend why he was even there, because he sat arms folded, arms crossed. There was uh, tables and chairs set up for everybody because they were taking notes, and, and it was uh, that kind of a seminar sort of situation. But he never had, never, never had a Bible with him, never sang a single song that we sang, and sat there with his arms folded, just crossed. And I thought, he really doesn't want to be here. And, and I heard his story a little bit through, as he shared with a couple of guys at different points in time and knew that he was uh, an American who had uh, relocated to Canada, had some experience in the Vietnam War, and uh, obviously just seemed like an unhappy ind- individual. Saturday night, after my session, he comes to me and very gruffly looks at me and says, what would you say to someone who hasn't read their Bible in over 50 years? And, and he said it in a much gruffer tone than what I just said to you. And so I thought, well, that's interesting, and quickly processed the information in my mind. And so I thought, well, he's been a little bit gruff. I'll just be a little bit gruff back. And I said, well, I guess I would say back to that individual, what's well, a good time to start? And so he looked at me, and I said, but hang on a second. Let's just unpack that a little bit, because obviously for someone to say they haven't read their Bible in 50 years, there's probably more to the story that I don't know right yet. And I said, why don't you tell me? And so he told me about how he had fought in the Vietnam War and how he was a, a follower of Christ and had went over there and, and prayed regularly as he was doing his uh, uh, soldier responsibilities and got into different situations where he just felt he really needed God and prayed and, and that was great. But then there came a moment in the midst of battle when he called out to God to help him and, and he felt that God didn't show up in response to his prayer. And so he told me on that Saturday night, he says, that day I disowned God. And I said, wow, that's quite a statement to make. And I said, well, here's something about God that maybe you've forgotten in your 50 years of not reading the Bible. God never disowned you if you had your faith and trust in him originally. And he said, hmm. And so uh, 
I said, but if I was in your shoes and felt that I was going to maybe rekindle this relationship, perhaps the first thing that I would need to do is to meet with God and tell him, I'm sorry for what I've done for these past 50 years and I'll ask you to forgive me. And he gave me another humph and left. So I thought, okay, well, I did what I thought I could do in the midst of that situation. The next morning, Sunday morning, Iraq comes, and before I even get to my session, he calls me off to a side room, and so we go over there, and I said, uh, well, what's going on? He says, I did it. And I thought, okay, I've got just enough mischief in me that I'm not going to let him off with, I did it. And so I acted dumb, which wasn't really hard to do. And I said, did what? And he said, uh, what you told me to do. And I said, well, how did that go? And he said, well, he says, I, I needed some help. So he says, a, a brother of mine who was here, he says, from my church, he just uh, helped me. And he says, and so I, I got down and, and I just asked God to forgive me. And I said, really? How'd that go? He says, well, I just, I just felt like there was a weight that got left off of me. And he says, and, and this morning, he says, I, I had this desire that I wanted to read my Bible. And I said, that's such good news. And so he came to the session that morning, sang every song that we sang. I had his Bible there, was taking notes for the first time since Thursday night. And uh, as I walked away from that experience, I thought, what an incredible privilege it is to be able to keep on pointing people to a God who he says so clearly to us, I do not change and I am not leaving. Even if your heart is going to be hard toward me, I'm going to keep on calling out and responding to you. And he called that man back into relationship with him on that weekend in Manitoba in the middle of the winter. And I just thought, it is such a great thing about our God that he does not change. So obviously, this truth is important to God. And so I began to think through, well, what other passages tell us this? Well, you can turn in your Bibles if you want to or watch the screen as well because Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, when Joshua is sort of taking over to lead the people, uh, he hears these words and shares that God says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And so there's the message again. Repeat it from Moses to Joshua. And now Joshua has it himself. And then we continue on. Psalm 73 is another passage where I unpacked these few verses and thought, yeah, yeah, that's another reminder of God's presence all the time. The psalmist says, yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And the earth has nothing I desire besides you. Again, the ongoing presence of God. Have you ever thought about Psalm 23? Psalm 23 is an interesting picture. Even though we um, don't hear those words directly in the psalm, the message is clearly there. And if you have been in church any time at all, you'll hear these words and remember what it says. Psalm 23 says this, The Lord is my shepherd. Now, I'm not much about that particular industry. I don't know much about it, but I know you don't shepherd from a corporate executive office. You shepherd by being in the presence of the sheep, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Just listen to the presence of God in this psalm. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I go through hard times, even though there's brokenness in my life, even though there's things that happen that I don't want to have happen, what does he say? The psalmist says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. In the midst of my hard times, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they will comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The psalm, the great Psalm 23 is an ongoing story of the presence of God in our lives through all the different circumstances that happen to us. 
And so another illustration of how God says, I want you to know I'm not going anywhere. The same truth is in Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus was given to the disciples the, the call of the Great Commission. And it says, in teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and then Jesus, after he's about to, to leave and depart, he says, one more thing I want you to remember. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so it is so obvious as you go through the arc of Scripture, different places, you keep on pulling out different stories, worded in different ways, but the message is the same. God says, I want you to know something. I love you, and I'm not going anywhere. It's great news. So it's obvious that it's so important to God that we hear this, that he wants us to know that through all the different circumstances and situations of your life and my life, here's a fundamental truth that we can depend on and base our lives on is that God says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. That should give us great hope, great encouragement, and great strength to face whatever would come our way. In the midst of our celebrations, we praise God because he's right there with us. In the midst of our heartbreak, we turn to God because he's right there with us. It's important for God that we hear this message. And so as I, I was studying that and thinking about that, I thought, well, it seems to me it's like a two-sided coin. And so on the one side, we've got this promise from God that he says to us, hey, I want you to know this about me. I'm never going anywhere. And I kept on asking myself, well, yeah, but what's our side of it? And I came to this passage in Galatians chapter 5 as I asked the question, what's our responsibility in light of God's promise? So we got the promise, God clearly states, hey, I'm never going anywhere, so then what's my responsibility? What's you and I, what's our responsibility? Well, our call really is to stay in step with the Spirit of God. And in Galatians chapter 5, we've got the whole um, listing of the fruits of the Spirit, but let's start off at verse 16, and Paul's contrasting here the difference between life in the flesh and life in the Spirit. So in Galatians 5, 16, Paul says to the church there, hey, I say this to you, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, so it's a battle, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. And they're in conflict with each other so that you are not able or you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. This is good news. Carrying on, we see that the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery begins listing how we can tell so clearly what those acts are. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And he says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, and so here's the contrast. If we're doing those other things, we can ask, am I in step with the Spirit of God? No, clearly not. But here's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now here's the important part. Remember the question, what's our responsibility in light of God's promise that he said, I'm always going to be here with you? Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passage of the desires. So that's a true statement about our relationship with God. When we enter into that relationship, we've become dead to those things. So in verse 25, Paul says, since we live by the Spirit, here's the key, let us keep in step with the Spirit of God. That's the other side of the coin. So on the one side, God says, I'm never going anywhere. I'm going to be here. I will never leave you nor forsake you. On the other side, here's what he says to us. I want you to now stay in step with my spirit. It's a great opportunity and invitation. 
So there's this walk by faith that we enter into when we step into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And from that point forward, then our calling is to understand clearly the promise of God. I'm never going anywhere. We have a relationship with each other. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to stay in step with me. So how do we know? Well, we ask those questions that were asked about those different activities that were involved in in the passage that Paul gave to the church of Galatia. Am I walking in the sinful nature that Paul so clearly illustrated? Or am I walking in the fruits of the Spirit? And so uh, I, the story just came to mind because I know none of you will ever be able to relate to this. But here in you know, Kelowna, as things get busy and maybe you're in your car driving down the road and, and some guy with a, a different license plate pulls into your lane in front of you and you want to give him a piece of your mind which I never advise doing because no one can really, you just can't release that kind of stuff. Like we need all the parts and pieces of our mind that we have. But when you have that desire to say something and the words come out of your mouth, you can quickly discern at that moment, am I walking in step with the Spirit or the walking in the step of how I want to walk right now? It's pretty obvious. And so I don't think it's an exercise that that sort of um, pie in the sky, spiritually tough to discern. I think it's actually pretty easy to discern. Am I doing what God would have? Because I look at the fruits of the Spirit. Is this one of the fruits of the Spirit or is this one of the fruits of my flesh wanting a pound of someone else's flesh? All right? So, but think about the invitation. The invitation that God gives each and every day to you and to me is to come and to keep in step with my spirit. So as I thought about that, I thought, well, what's that look like from a big picture standpoint? Well, if we took the God of Genesis, the God who spoke the worlds into existence, the God who, um, if you remember the book of Job and, and how God had that conversation with Job near the end after he's gone through all the stuff and, and finally Job's asked his questions and God says to him, who is this that darkens my counsel? And he begins to point this picture in verses 38 on of the book of Job of all the things that he's done from a creative standpoint. And he says, I know where the storehouses of the snow is. I know when the sun comes up and I tell the waves how far they can go. And he lists all the things that he's done. And he says to Job, have you done any of that? And the answer clearly is no. Well, that God who spoke to Job, and the story is in the book of Genesis, how he created the world, that God has not changed one iota. Remember the words from Deuteronomy chapter 32 when he said, these are not idle words for you. That God is in the business of issuing an invitation every day of your life to come walk with me. The couple named Abram and Sarai, before they got the names changed to Abraham and Sarah, were given a promise that they were going to become a great nation. And so that promise didn't come as quickly as they thought it should. And so as the years turned into decades and they thought, we can't have children anymore, they began to manufacture a way to make the promise happen. And God said, you don't understand me yet. I'm still going to fulfill my promise. And he, by miraculous means, because the Bible says that they were beyond the years of being able to bear children, that God allowed that to take place. That same God says to you and I today, come walk with me. When he was taking the nation of Israel out of Egypt and they finally get to the Red Sea and all of a sudden they realize that this is now impossible. We've got the, the enemies of, or the, the nation of Egypt coming after us. We've got the Red Sea in front of us. We're going to die. And God says, no, trust me. And it says that a wall of water went up on each side. And the Bible says in Exodus chapter 14 that they walked through on dry ground with a wall of water on each side. That same God who has not changed one iota saw you arise this morning and said to you, come walk with me. That's amazing. There is no better invitation given to us anywhere. 
in Samuel or in uh, Kings when, when Israel got the king that they wanted and it didn't work out too well for them and uh, Saul didn't end up being the kind of king that they needed, well, God was going to choose another king and so he sends the prophet Samuel off to the house of Jesse and there's seven sons that come in and the first one's a giant of a man and he walks in and Samuel thinks to himself, there's the next king, obviously, this guy's huge, he's magnificent, he'll be a great leader and God says, I haven't chosen him. And he gives Samuel this little bit of information that I think you and I often forget. And he says to Samuel that particular day as he's sitting in the house of Jesse, waiting for the next six sons to come by, he says, Samuel, I don't choose from the outward appearance. I look at the heart. And after the seven sons of Jesse have walked through, Samuel looks at Jesse and says, is that it? Because every one of them were turned down. He says, well, I've got one more. He's a runt. He's out in the fields looking after the sheep. And Samuel says to Jesse, go get him. And the last one, the least of the sons of Jesse, comes in. And it could be that when you woke up this morning, you actually looked into the mirror and you thought to yourself, you know what, I'm really not all that big of a deal. I I don't amount to very much in the grand scheme of this world. And I want you to hear this very clearly this morning. God looks at you through your heart. He's not looking at whether you're a big deal from the world standpoint or not. He's wanting to know, is your heart actually sold out to me? Because in that case, you see, what I want from you is, I want you to come and walk with me. Just as he took David out of the fields of looking after the sheep and actually made him a king, that same God looks at you and says, I want you to come and walk with me. I've got another great story that I love out of the the book of uh, 2 Kings when um, the prophet Elisha is surrounded because there's a, a guy there from the king of Aram who can't stand Elisha hates him because of the things that Elisha has been saying and doing. And so finally he sends out his troops to this place called Dothan where Elisha is hanging out. And, and Elisha's servant gets up early in the morning and the story's in 2 Kings 6. And he says he goes out and he sees that the whole city has been surrounded by the king who wants to take Elisha captive. And he comes rushing back in and he says to his, his uh, boss, Elisha, he says, what are we going to do? He says, the whole city's around. And Elisha says to him in verse 16, don't be afraid. You see, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, and he said, Oh, Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked. This is amazing. He looked, and he saw the hills full of chariots and horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. These are not just idle words. Those aren't ancient stories from the past. Because, you see... We serve a God who does not change. And he made a promise way back in the book of Deuteronomy that he carried through all of Scripture and he carries right through to this very day. He said, I'm never leaving you nor forsaking you. And then he gave us a responsibility on the other side of that same promise. He said, what I want you to do is come and walk with me. The God who put horses and chariots of fire around the city of Dothan is the same God today who invites you and I to come into relationship with him and to walk with him each and every day. In the book of Mark, the disciples encounter this storm as they got Jesus in the boat with them and they're rowing across the Sea of Galilee and there's this storm comes up and it says that they are terrified by the storm and so they finally go on to wake Jesus up and say, what is wrong? Don't you care that we're going to die? And Jesus looks at them and says, trust me. And he puts his hand up and he says to the winds and the waves, be still. And in Mark chapter 4, verse 37, it tells us that story of how everything went calm immediately. And it says that at that point in time, the disciples, who are now on a calm sea with nothing to fear, it says that they were terrified. And they asked this simple question, who is this? I'll tell you this morning who it is. 
It's the same God who, when you arose from your sleep last night, early this morning, who looked at you and said, I want you to come and walk with me today. He has not changed. His invitation will not change. He loves you desperately and issues you an invitation every single day of your life and my life. And the invitation is very simple. Just come and walk with me. And we never know what's going to happen that day when I take my schedule and I submit it to him and I say, okay, God, let's go with your plan. But here's where I often default to in my schedule planning is I invite God to come and walk with me. God, I got a full day planned out. Glad to have you with me, but kind of just sort of keep up with me as I got my things all lined up today. And that's not the invitation. That's not the, the, the point of Scripture. I can tell God that, but he's under no mandate to do what I've asked him to do. The invitation has always got to be flipped upside down. Where God's not, not, he's, not, he's not upset with us making plans. Don't get me wrong. I think making plans is great. But always the plans that I make, then I submit them to God and say, Okay, God, uh, here's my plans for the day, but if you've got something better, let's go with your plan. And I don't always do that easily, to be honest. Because I sometimes don't really want God to mess up with my plans. And I fail to trust that his plan is always going to be infinitely, eternally better than my plan. And so I want to try and wrestle with this every single day, this summer, of hearing that invitation and saying, okay, God, I want to walk with you, with your plans. Because I never know what that's going to entail. And I think that really is an exciting way to live by faith then. To say, okay, God, your way not my way. It is so powerful. A few years ago, I had the privilege of um, meeting a missionary named Marcio Garcia, who heads up a mission down in Brazil with an organization called Partners International. And Marcio is a, a man who grew up in a well-to-do family in Brazil and, and finally came to faith in a, as a university student and, and felt called by God to um, set up a mission that they would only go to places that you could get to by boat. If you could land a plane there or drive a car there, he wasn't least bit interested. If you could only get to it by boat, then that was his kind of ministry. And so along the Amazon River and on the Atlantic coast of, the, of Brazil, he has ministry points all throughout the, the country. It's a, an incredible opportunity. I had to go and see what he was doing. So we went down and, and spent 10 days traveling on a boat every single day and getting off to different places and walking into villages and, and seeing this work that was going on. And, and so we finally got to this one place near the two-thirds way of our trip that uh, we were walking into this village and as we got there, Marshall said, you know, I've never taken anybody here from outside of the country before. And, and so when we arrived, uh, the mission leaders there told us that no non-Brazilian had ever been in this village before. It was like a National Geographic moment for me personally to be there. And it wasn't easy on that particular day because they had this wonderful sand that we were walking in through the jungle, but the sand was A, hot, and B, every time you took a step, you sunk in it. And so he said, whatever you do, Russ, wear good running shoes or hiking shoes because the sand's going to be too hot for you guys. There was myself and another friend of mine from my church that we walked in with. And uh, Marcio and his buddy that were walking there in bare feet, of course, because they're tough Brazilians and they can handle that kind of stuff. Not me. So we get to the village and uh, are listening to the story of the, 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 the three mission ladies who are working there. And the one mission lady tells the story about how Marcio had taught them that every time a church gets established in one community, they always then go deeper into the jungle to find another village that does not have a church. And so she said she'd been to this other village two different times. And on two occasions, the two occasions she'd went, they had been stoned by the villagers. And so in my North American naivety, I simply asked her a question through the translator who was Marcio. 
and said, are you going back? And, and she looked back at me like there was something I was missing in the tra- telling of the story. And she simply said to me, Russ, she goes, I have to go back because, you see, she was mindful of this picture of keeping in step with the Spirit of God. And she said, I have to go back because no one has yet accepted Christ as their Savior. And so at risk of life, she would walk with God, accepting his invitation to come walk with me to take the good news of Christ to another place that did not yet know about Jesus Christ. I was blown away. That evening, Marcy would ask me to share a devotional, which as I pondered that, that later that afternoon as I was sitting in my place that I was just staying at, I thought, God, what do I have? I, I don't even know what to say to these people. They're so amazing in their walk with you. What can I do? And, and I just finished the four-part series of the church that I'd been teaching at that uh, was on John 3.16. And so I just encapsulated that into a brief devotional about how much God loves us from John 3.16. If you don't know the verse, look it up later today. In that, I shared, as I'm sharing that story again, the one mission lady who's the head of the, the ministry there, she's about 30 years of age, and, and she starts to cry partway through my presentation. And I thought, I probably crossed some kind of line that I shouldn't have crossed um, culturally. And so uh, her then crying then turned into weeping. Her weeping turned into sobbing, and she was physically convulsing as she was sitting there. And I thought, I've got to end this because I can't, I can't watch this anymore. The village had all showed up for that evening for me to give this devotional, and I'm talking through Marcio, and so as soon as I wrap it up, I go to Marcio, and I said, I don't know what happened. He goes, yeah, yeah, he said, I saw. He says, I'll go and check it out, and I'll call you over when, it, when, it's, written, when it's time. I said, okay. So he talks to me just very briefly, and he gives me a signal to come over, and I sit down there with her, and I said, How do I, what do I need to say to apologize? He goes, Russ, you don't need to apologize. And he said, she was just overwhelmed tonight by, number one, the presence of God, and number two, the message that you gave of how much God loves her. And I said, well, she's a mission leader. She knows this stuff. Yeah, but Russ, here's what she thought through. She thought through the fact that God would bring a pastor from a, a city. I was living in Saskatoon at that time, and I asked them all to pronounce Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, which really was a hoot, uh, and they couldn't do it. And so she said, she, God brought this pastor from a place that, in, a, in another country that she can't even pronounce, put him on an airplane, flew him down to Brazil, put him in a truck, got him to the coast, put him in a boat, got him to come along the coast of Brazil, then walked across the sand into a village where no non-Brazilian had ever been before. And on that particular evening, God prompted me to share with her the truth of John 3.16, that God loves her so much. And she said she was overwhelmed with the incredible presence of God and the love of God for her, that he would do all that just to remind her how much he loved her. It's an adventure, people. We never know what God's got for us in store in the days that we surrender to him and say, God, okay, it's not all my plans. I've got them made, yes. But Lord, it's your plans. I had no idea that was going to transpire. You and I don't have any idea day by day. I walked my daughter through this, who she's 30 years of age and has a young family at home. She goes, well, Dad, that's a great story, but I'm not going to Brazil. And I said, no, but day by day, hon, you don't know what God's got in store for you and your young family. You don't know how he wants you to communicate his truth to someone else that you're going to interact with in your life. And I said, so it's the same principle, just done in a different way, in a different place, a different location, with the exact same God. It's amazing. So the truth, God's never going to leave us or forsake us. The question, what's our responsibility? Accept his invitation, stay in step with the Spirit, and walk with him each and every day. Let me pray, and then we're going to transition into our communion time, and we'll give an opportunity to this incredible God will invite us again to remember who he is. Let's pray. Father, you are amazing. 
the truth that you want us to know and it's all throughout the pages, pages of scripture that you'll never leave us nor forsake us it's in Deuteronomy it's in the Psalms it's in different other places it's also in the New Testament in the book of Matthew so clear that you said through Jesus to us I want you to know here's the message go into all the world make disciples and I want you to never forget this I will be with you always to the very end of the age Lord as we transition now to look at what you did for us on the cross may these not just be idle words to us this morning but may they be a remembrance and a reminder of the truth of who you are and what you are inviting us into on a day by day basis Lord you are amazing and we love you so much in Jesus name we pray amen